Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we continue our series, Holy, thinking about our holy God and how he wholly calls us. It's been a bit of a weird day if you've been following the news cycle. And so as we begin tonight, I want to encourage you, if you would, consider sharing this live stream, inviting someone to watch alongside you. You can talk with them as we're going even in the chat and encourage them because we're reflecting on our God who is with us and in a world that feels so uncertain with seemingly a war right at the brink of happening and, and trying to get our minds around that on top of everything that we've been through, it's a, it's a discouraging time. But our God is in control. So let's come before him and, and ask for his guidance as we come to his word that we would see more about who he is. And then we're going to dive in and hear about his calling that he gives his people. Let's pray. Father, we do live in a world that often feels very uncertain. We live in a time that feels especially uncertain in so many ways. We look at the big things going around the globe. We look at the, the things simply happening in our lives, and, and the world feels overwhelming at times. And yet we know that you are not only the holy God, but the loving God. And you are the God who has a purpose for each and every one of us. And so we pray, Lord, tonight that as we come before your word, that you would help us to hear the truth in it, that we would be encouraged by it, and that you'd enable us to pass along that encouragement to others as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just mentioned the, the news of the day. Of course, it's been the news for the last several weeks, but, but it came out this afternoon that Russia is actually sending troops into Ukraine. It's been expected. It's not really a surprise, but it's but it's happening. They're closing off airspace. They're preparing to send in tanks and troops and and who knows what else. And we realize that we're potentially going into something incredibly dark. And in the build-up to that, we've seen different things happening in Ukraine, attacks on, on parts of the, the country that would actually seem to be pro-Russia, but seemingly by Russia to create an excuse to go in. These, these preparations for war that aren't random, these military exercises allegedly just happening, but clearly happening for a purpose. All these things, these non-random things that if you wanted Russia to invade, if you were one of the separatists, you, you might see as a reassurance. And yet for those who are just wanting to live their daily lives in a free country, I have to think that right now is a really very dark time for them. And it feels like a dark time for the world because we wonder, well, what's next? What's next for the rest of Europe? What's next for for the allies of those countries surrounding Russia, including the United States? How do we find ourselves mixed into this? What, what will happen? How can we find assurance? We yearn for assurance. That's what we find in God's word. It doesn't give us assurance that there won't be a war. It doesn't give us assurance that that Russia would even lose that war if it began. But it gives us the assurance of who's ultimately in control. And who's ultimately in control, who's ultimately going to win, isn't Russia or the United States or the United Kingdom or Ukraine or China or anyone else like that. It's God. And that's the God whom Isaiah encounters as, as he comes into the holiness of God that, that dwarfs any kind of power we might see demonstrated in this world. People made comments today about the grandeur of Vladimir Putin's office as he was speaking to, to Russia, but then it was being broadcast around the world about his plans. And, 
And yet that is dwarfed by the majesty of what Isaiah sees. And that's why, like we saw last week, Isaiah, as he comes into the holy court of God, as he's brought into this, he feels overwhelmed by his inadequacy, his utter hopelessness to be before this holy God. And we're going to start by looking back at what God does in response to that and then move into the next part of the passage. So let's take a look. If you'll turn to Isaiah 6 with me, we'll look at verses 5 through 8. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? So we have two distinct parts to this. The one we looked at last week, which is this purification of Isaiah. He he recognizes he's not holy. He's not fit to be in God's presence. And then this other bit here, where the Lord says, Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And so these seem like, it seems like a transition. Okay, Isaiah is purified. Now let's move on. But but they're actually interlinked, and they're interlinked in several different ways. And the first one, of course, is that the the center of attention in all of this is God. And we saw that in, in that first part as the seraphim were, were proclaiming the majesty of God and, and calling out, holy, holy, holy. And we talked about how that threefold declaration of holy seems to point to not just some encounter with God, but the full encounter with God. Isaiah is encountering the Trinity here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we saw in the Gospel of John last week that's confirmed in the Gospel itself, which says that Isaiah encountered Jesus' glory. And we see this continue to develop here in this passage as the Lord is said to look, and he's looking out here at his court, and he's looking at the seraphim, he's looking at Isaiah, and he says this, what we just read in verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? There's only one God. Who will go for us? And people have wrestled with this us here, just as they've wrestled with some of the other parts of this passage, and the few other hints we find of the Trinity in the Old Testament, but but the interesting thing here is commentators do not believe this is a royal we, the, the so-called use that a monarch may use to, to speak with authority only of themselves. So, for example, there's lots of examples in, in English history of, of the monarch saying we and us and only meaning him or herself. That's not apparently what's going on here. And it doesn't seem to make sense either that that the Lord would say, whom shall I send for us, including the seraphim and the other heavenly host? Why would God do that? But if we keep in mind what John said, this is a, a further reminder that as Isaiah is hearing the, this, this question being asked, it's a question concerning the full glory of God. He's still in that full presence. He's still in the presence that a moment earlier in his vision, he assumes he's doomed. 
Because God is so holy and he is not. And that's why the, that hot coal is brought, that purification that ultimately comes from Jesus. That, that Isaiah is made pure. And we talked last week about how we're then made pure. And that's exactly where we're picking up here. And this question here, we have to remember, God's called Isaiah into this, this experience of himself. And so as God asks this question, it's not as if God is surprised that Isaiah is there. John Calvin, in reflecting on this passage, said that the whole setup of this, Isaiah's experience of God's holiness, and then hearing this question asked that, that seems to very clearly imply there's someone in particular God has in mind. He doesn't want to just send anybody speaks to how God shows care in Isaiah's calling. He's not just looking for a body to send out to the people to declare his word. He's looking for Isaiah. And so here, as many would caution us, this passage sometimes gets twisted a little bit and it turns into a nice motivational quote, especially in the part we're going to look at in a moment where Isaiah says he'll go. And so it becomes like a missions calling. Oh, who, who shall be sent? I'll, I'll go. And, and we want to volunteer for that. And, and we turn this into some kind of very generic calling uh, to follow follow God's urgings for his people. And, and we miss the fact that this actually shows very specific care to Isaiah. God's brought Isaiah into this moment. And God is calling Isaiah. And this question, whom shall we send? Is a question being asked with a clear answer already in mind. God knows whom shall be sent. But he wants Isaiah to experience that question. So with all that said then, are we just an audience to this? Why are we really even reading this? I guess it tells us that, that Isaiah is important, right? Um, but what does it really say to you and me? What does it say, like I said, this is a, a tense time in our world and so it's nice to know that Isaiah had an authoritative call, but, but what does it really mean to us? Are we just sitting here watching this happen on television, as it were? Hearing about what happened to Isaiah, and yet it, it doesn't really have any impact on us? Is it sort of like the experience maybe some of us have watching the Olympics? You, know, you, you watch the Olympics, and of course we just concluded the, the Winter Olympics, and, and you watch them and you see all these people doing all these amazing things, and, and maybe every once in a while you think, well, wouldn't it be fun to do that, go do that ski jump or the bobsled or, or figure skating, and then, and then reality comes crashing down in different ways. Uh, for myself, I'm a klutz, so I know if I, I tried to do probably almost any of the things they were doing in the Olympics, I'd probably end up injured seriously. Because I would find a way to fall over on the ice, or I would go skiing off on, off a cliff and off the side of the mountain, or something like that. That would be the kind of thing I would do. And and then a, a further thing starts to to occur. This has occurred to me. You start thinking about these Olympians, and you realize, well, wait a second. I'm older than almost everyone competing there, unless I'm going to be on the curling team. And and so. You know, even if somehow I said, well, I'm going to master one of these things, uh, I'm never going to be an Olympian. You know, you, you hear the heartwarming stories during the Olympics of, of someone who, uh, there was a story about one of the, the speed skaters, and, and he, as a 10-year-old, saw speed skaters in the Olympics, then spent his teenage years becoming a master speed skater. Well, for most of us tonight that are together studying this, that's not us. We're not going to do it. 
And we might ask, well, is that the same thing here with Isaiah? We're seeing Isaiah, he's being called, he's in this Olympic moment, uh, being given the torch, he's going to carry out God's word, but is it purely observing? Is there really anything for me? What we need to see is that, to say very clearly here, that this prophetic call is not one that all of us receives, doesn't mean that there isn't something that we can take from it and understand more about how God calls us. If you had that experience where you get all wrapped up in the Olympics, but then realize you're never going to be an Olympian, it doesn't mean that you can't still be inspired by it and have fun with some of the stuff that it inspires you to. A, a friend of mine watching Olympic hockey four years ago decided he should pick up playing hockey, and and he's, I think, become pretty good at it. He's not going to be ever a, a national hockey league player. He's not ever going to be on the Olympic team, but he has fun playing hockey with his friends in the winter now. And when we think about our calling and our relationship to the Lord, I'd venture to say most, if not all of you, will never be called by God in a vision to become a prophet. But it doesn't mean they hasn't called you. And as we see what God does here with his care for Isaiah, the thing that we can say very clearly is that his unique care for Isaiah isn't unique to Isaiah. His unique care is also unique to you and to me. He cares about each of his people. He has a particular plan for you. And while it may not be the prophetic experience that Isaiah has, it doesn't mean that he hasn't called you and that he doesn't have a purpose for you. We may not be called to be a prophet, but every single person who is redeemed by the blood of Jesus has a calling. Take a look at Romans 8, 28 to 30. Listen to what Paul says. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the first among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. So what are we told here? We're told that a very important part of Isaiah's experience is an experience that we share with him. Because it's been noted over and over again as, as people have wrestled with this vision that Isaiah has, that it speaks to God's predestination, his calling of Isaiah. He, he doesn't go looking and put out a help-wanted poster and wait to see if someone responds. No, he brings Isaiah into his heavenly court so he can have his, this experience and, and be sent out to go do something. What Paul says in Romans 8 is that everyone who is a Christian has had that part of the experience. Those two parts. All those whom he's predestined, all those who have a living faith, and maybe that's you tonight for the very first time as you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart and you think, well, I would like to have that. I want to believe. And I hope that if you feel that, that you respond and you respond because you know that that's not some generic thing. That's God's unique calling on your life. Each one of us who responds to that work of the Holy Spirit, we have a calling. And sometimes that gets obscured. Sometimes it's from, from life experiences. Sometimes it's from the people around us discouraging us. Sometimes it's just about us getting caught up in ourselves. And, and we, we look at this and we feel like we're seeing Isaiah on the, the spiritual Olympics and and we forget that God's actually calling us too. We hear those voices in our head or in the voice in the words of other people 
saying maybe we don't have what it takes and we start to believe it. But God's called you and he's called me. And that leads us to a question, and it's a question that Isaiah is being presented with, and it's a question that each of us should ask, which is, if I'm in fact called, if I'm actually redeemed, if, if God is working in my life to make me pure, then now what? And this is the logical progression of this vision that Isaiah is having. He experiences the holiness of God that says that he is very much not holy. But then he experiences Jesus' redemption. The thing that, that we're each invited to experience. But Jesus doesn't just redeem us and then just send us off to, to go wander about. He, he redeems us and then he sends us off with purpose. And, and so we're called to respond wholly to our holy God. And we see that in the second part of verse 8. Isaiah says, Then I said, Here I am, send me. Now, again, this is a uniquely Isaiah experience here. God's given him this, this question that he hears, that he's been brought into the heavenly court to hear who's going to go and proclaim our wor word to this nation, who's going to go out into the world as a prophet. And Isaiah responds, here I am, send me. That, that's unique to Isaiah. Again, I'm not a prophet, and I would imagine no one listening tonight is a prophet. But God's working by, by calling unique people and expecting us then to have a human response to that is not unique to Isaiah. Because he does that in each and every one of our lives. And, and Isaiah here responds as we should respond to God's calling too, which is in obedience. He says, here I am. That's a, something we see repeated over and over again in Scripture as a, a way to respond to God, to say, I hear your voice and I want to do your work. And it's not a begrudged response. Isaiah says, here I am. I'm here, Lord. Send me. And why does he do that? Because he's just experienced the holiness of God. He's just experienced the fact that he should be dead in God's presence because he is so unfit to be in God's presence. He's experienced redemption. God doesn't send us out and see if we through a, a period of, of a trial process, work out, and then he decides to save us if, if we do. No, God saves us. God redeems us. And then, and then he sends us out so that we're empowered by the forgiveness that he gives us and the confidence we have in him to do the work that he intends for us. I love what, what John Calvin says in reflecting on this. He says, on this account, it ought to be observed that we cannot undertake anything in a proper manner without the evidence of our calling. Otherwise, we shall pause and hesitate at every step. If we're trying to do what God calls any of us to do on our own strength, thinking, well, this is what I should do, we're going to pause and we're going to hesitate and we're going to doubt and we're ultimately going to stumble it's too great a burden. What Isaiah was going to be sent to do was too great a burden. Isaiah experienced why he should receive God's judgment, and he was going to be sent, as we'll talk about next week, to proclaim God's judgment. Recognizing only that God is holy, and then having to proclaim about that holiness would have been too much for Isaiah. He would have, he would have stumbled. He would have realized, wait, I'm proclaiming absolute judgment upon myself. 
But God doesn't leave him there. He redeems him. He lets him experience his grace first. So that as he goes out and proclaims why people need to repent or face God's judgment, Isaiah can say, and I have experienced God's grace. I have experienced what happens when I come before a holy God in repentance is unworthy as even my repentance is. I have experienced that. And so now I can do what God has called me to do, even when it's difficult, even when the people are going to hate me for it, even when everything in me would rather do something else. Even when ultimately Isaiah knows very well he's powerless to, to make anything right, even in his own life. When we experience that powerlessness and we think, maybe I'm just not worthy to do this. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this told that God is with us, working in us too, and that the forces that oppose us won't stand. And that's what we see as we continue. If we go back to Romans chapter 8, pick up at the latter half of, of verse 30. Now what Paul says here, we, we just read this part, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And then he goes on, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is no, none of those things. Whatever we face, we're to look at the redemption that Jesus offers us, just as Isaiah experienced it. And we're given strength to know that all those things that Paul lists there, the spiritual warfare we may face, the, the opposition from other people, the opposition in the world, just conflict and, and trouble and trial and tribulation in the world, those things won't separate us from the call that God has given us. It, it's no coincidence that when it says that God has predestined us and called us, it goes on to say, all the way to that he has glorified us. And I love how Paul says that because he says it as something that's already done, even though we haven't experienced it yet. No living person today knows what it's like to experience the glory that Jesus is going to give us. Because we're not there yet. We're still sinful, fallen human beings, and yet it's already a done deal. God doesn't stop what he starts. You can rest in that confidence tonight and in the rest of this week and in the rest of this lifetime that you have. If we know that then, even if we're not prophets and even if God isn't giving us an audible or, or visual experience that we can see exactly what he wants us to do, then we need to ask, what are our here I am moments? What are those moments that God is prompting us to do things and we need to do them? You might say, well, Tim, but... You, you've kind of kicked the legs out from underneath me here. I, I, if this isn't what, if this isn't for me, if I'm not called to be a prophet, and I'll, I'll flip through and I, well, I'm not called to be king. Um, and I flip somewhere else and I'm, I'm not called to be a priest, I'm not called to be an apostle. Uh, I, I can go through, a, we can go through a whole list of things here and, and see all these special people in the Bible. I'm not called to be any of them. 
How do I even know when to say, here I am? How do I know when to say, send me, Lord? And the problem is, so often we have this, we have a package and we have this package here and we, we're looking all around and I've done this sometimes. I've ordered something and I'm struggling and I forget that I've ordered this part that I need and I'm trying to work without it and I forget it's all still wrapped up here. And yet, sometimes we just need to unwrap the package because what do we find in the package? Well, it's exactly what we need to answer that question. You see, we might not be called to be prophets and we might not be those who even have a prophet around speaking to us today. But listen to what the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken, I unwrapped a King James here, uh, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom he made the worlds. We need to take the bubble wrap off the Bible and look at it. Because what does the author of Hebrews say? If we want to know what God's saying today, we just turn and look at Jesus. We look at his life and his death and what he's done for us. The thing that Isaiah is experiencing in that redemption, and, and Jesus taught us what we were supposed to do. We turn to First Peter, I believe that Peter is, is surely reflecting on what he had experienced, and we see so much of what Peter sums up here in the teachings of Jesus over the course of his ministry. Take a look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Peter writes, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So what does he say here? What's the summary of what we're supposed to do? What's the very things that Jesus taught over and over again? We should love our neighbor. We should love God. And we should, should proclaim his gospel. This package I took out of the bubble wrap here, this Bible... This thing that thankfully all of us can have access to online and, and hopefully in print form as well. What do we find in here? We find that the ultimate revelation of God, the ultimate prophecy of God, is Jesus himself who has restored us. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to communicate that to other people. And, and that's what Peter's speaking about there. That, that we don't do things that would bring disgrace to Jesus. We actually act like loving people. We don't use our Christian freedom that God has redeemed us in ways that are selfish and beneficial to us. We, we don't fret all the time about how horrible other people are, but we rather love them and we show them the gospel. We follow God's laws. We, we, we honor God and we love him. The greatest commandment, love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the one that is like that, Jesus says, we love our neighbor as ourselves. As we do those things, we're doing what God has called us to do as he brought us into his heavenly court. We might not have that visual and auditory experience that Isaiah had, and yet in his word, he's told us exactly what to do. And each and every one of us, as we experience his call, we're called to do that. 
Because here's the thing, Isaiah had a special mission for a special time. And we might think, well, I'd like a special mission. I'd like to be the prophet that goes up to, to Vladimir Putin and says, don't invade another country. Don't start a war that might echo across the world. Don't do that. But that's not my calling, and I don't think it's your calling either. But what is my calling? What is your calling? It, it's to love the person that you, you see as you walk out to your car to drive to work in the morning. It's to love the person that might be in the chat tonight and hurting. It's, it's to, to love the person that you run into at church that, that's in your way when you want a cup of coffee. It's to, to love the people around us that we don't necessarily want to love because they, they somehow rub us the wrong way. It's to, to honor our leaders even when we don't like them. Peter certainly knew how bad the emperor was and yet honor the emperor. Why do we do that? Because we show love. Why do we do that? Why does God want us to show love even to the unlovable, even to, to the wicked? Because he wants them to hear the same message that redeems you and redeems me. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son into it. That whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And that is the message that Isaiah is ultimately pointing them to. It, it, it might be in a very long book with a lot of of different, sometimes puzzling pieces. But what do we find in Isaiah? Ultimately, he proclaims the coming of the Messiah. He proclaims that to a nation that deserves judgment. But he proclaims that, that Jesus is coming, that redemption is coming. And that's a mission, that's a calling that you and I have too, as we love God and love our neighbor. We're sharing the ultimate prophecy of a holy God. That's what he calls us to wholly respond to. May we do that tonight and do that every day. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, sometimes it, it's hard reading a, a story like this, and we want you to, to give us a neon billboard. We want to, you to take us up into a heavenly vision and say exactly what you want us to do. And yet in your word, we find the, the everyday things, the things that might feel mundane and yet are so important. To show love to those around us. To, to love you with all our heart. To proclaim your gospel that, that those people around us might hear about the love that we have for you and the love that you have, most importantly, for them. That, that we might all be brought together into your heavenly court one day as those who are restored. As those who celebrate as we hear the proclamation, holy, holy, holy. And Lord, that's my prayer for each of us tonight. That we would know that you are with us. That we would feel your confidence we would feel and know your redemption. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if this was an encouragement to you, please do give it a like or a share. Let people know about our holy God who is holy with us. Next week, we're going to pick back up here. We've talked about this idea of calling, and yet Isaiah's calling is going to be challenging, and our calling is challenging. And, and how do we wrestle with that? And how do we wrestle with God's judgment in the mix of that? Well, I, I sure hope that you'll be there on next Monday at 7 p.m. as we think about that. In the meantime, I encourage you to continue our Psalms reading plan we've been doing by reading Psalms 22 today, 23 by Wednesday, and 24 by Friday, and, and join in the discussion at grow.faithtree.com as we're reflecting more on this holy God who is with us. Reading the Psalms can be such a comfort and an assurance and direct our thoughts to him as he calls us to do as we've been talking about tonight. 
And if you haven't already, do check out the video from last night. Jim did a wonderful job of leading us through those psalms and setting us up for that discussion. You can see that at grow.faithtree.com as well. If there's any way I can be praying for you or if you have any questions, any way you'd like to reach out, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below and we can pray for each other together. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week and I'll see you again next week. <music>